Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, welcoming you to another episode of my Revolutionary Podcast, where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And today we're continuing our series, What's In It For Me? When it comes to all of these spiritual disciplines and all the things that God asks us to do, right? There's a lot of people that wonder, all right, well, what am I going to get out of it? And the truth is, we get a lot out of all of these spiritual disciplines, but only when we approach it with the right heart and only when we approach God with the right view of him. And I'm not going to say the right motive because it's not going to be perfect motive, but a better motive. And it can't be just for us. And so today we're going to look at King David, what he would do, because there's a lot of people who because they have the wrong view of God, they don't do what they're supposed to do correctly, and they miss out on something wonderful. So let's heed David's warnings and listen to what he has to say. What's in it for me? Like, what's in it for me in doing this, 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 this? And sometimes, you know, when, when you think of uh, those of you, if you've enlisted, I want you to ask yourself this question, and, you, and this can apply to others who haven't, but why would somebody sign up? Why would somebody enlist and put themselves potentially, right, in this place of danger for what? Like, what's in it for me, right? Think about that. If, if you're a veteran, you know you have that answer. And if it, was, if it was you, I want you to think about that. What would cause somebody? Now, I know there's benefits, right? There's benefits to, well, you know, why would you enlist? Why would you do that? Well, you know, it's retirement and, I guess, you know, decent pay, uh, education, it will pay for my education, uh, it's a great way to get a job, right? There's a lot of positives for doing those things. There's a lot of benefits, right? But it, this isn't like when you enlist in, to serve in the military, it's not like you think of college, right? I know we got some soon-to-be college students, and we got others that are still there, and, and you don't think, well, you do think in this way, right? You think, okay, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to study? Why? So I can get a job. Why? So I can make money. Why? So I can have this job that I, you know, drive all this time and make all this money and barely have enough time to be able to enjoy the things I'm spending my money on. Adults, y'all caught me on that one? Yes? Right? Think about that. All right, process that for a minute, guys. There's so many times we think, well, I'm going to go get this job and make some money, but then that job might consume so much of your time that you can't even enjoy what you're spending your money on. So then at that point, What's the point, right, at that case? And so, but think about that. Yeah, there are certain natural ways of thinking, okay, I'm going to do this because I'm going to get this out of it. But when it comes to the military, yes, there's a lot of positives. But what I love about those who enlist is in the end, why would you do that? Because yes, in the end, you know, it's not so much what's in it for me. You also realize the bigger picture. What's in it for you if I serve, right? What's in it for you if I enlist? There's, you know, those that, that make it, that is their perception. It's not just what am I, what am I going to get out of it, but what can I give? For people that will never know my name or appreciate what I've done, process that. What's in it for me? Well, yeah, what's in it for you? And that's the thing, guys, I want us to, that right there is a focus that as believers we need to be able to have, is when we look at our pursuit of Christ, when we look at understand, you know, what we're doing now, why bother going on Sundays and reading the Bible every week and, and spending time in prayer and in his presence? What's in it for me? What are benefits? Well, yes, there are a lot of benefits, but that's the wrong way 
to look at it. You actually get less out of all of that religious activity if your focus is on you only. All right. And so there, there's a lot in there. We got to be careful not to say, okay, well, I want a relationship with God and I'm going to do X and Y and all this religious activity so that he can bless me so that I can have the life that I want to enjoy. Guys, let me just warn you on that. There's actually a verse that I, for a long time, misunderstood and misquoted. And that's the one that we're going to look at today in context. It's Psalms 37.4, where it pretty much says, Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Anyone ever heard of that one before? Anybody online? You ever heard of that verse before? Delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. My selfish purse, my selfish self, okay, when I read that verse the first time, when I was a teenager and stuff like that, the way I read it was, all right, well, if I do what God asked me to do, he's going to give me what I want. That sounds like a good deal. Doesn't that sound like a good deal? It almost sounds like that. If I delight in the Lord, he will give me the desires of my heart. If I do this and this and this, he will help me fulfill my purpose and my dreams. Guys, that's a wrong way to look at it. Because that's, you're looking at God and you're, you're, you're reducing your relationship to nothing but a transactional relationship. Meaning, all right, God, I'm going to give you this so you can give me mine. All right, cool. We have an understanding. That's how many, and I'm going to be real. Some of y'all probably showed up today and you probably didn't even realize that is your understanding. That is your approach. Even to Sunday mornings, what you do. Well, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. So that God can give me this and that promotion and that husband, that wife that I'm looking for. So that God can change my, I'm going to show up so that God can change that husband and change that wife. And, you know, change those kids and, and all those. So he can give me that promotion and give me that job and give me that. Listen, if you've already shown up with that, you're already off. All right. God is not interested in a transactional relationship. Sounds very mafioso at that point. And, you know, it's like back and forth. Well, what you got for me? All right, well, this is what I got for you. All right, that's not how it works. In fact, King David would encourage us to not have that perception because here's what happens as a Christian if you have that understanding. When you do and you do and you do and God does not fulfill and give you what you want, you get bitter, don't you? He was like, God, I don't miss a Sunday. I give every single week. I do, you should see my streak on the Bible app, man. I don't miss, all right? I don't miss a day. I pray, and I do this, and I do that, and here's so-and-so, and he got that promotion over me, and here's so-and-so, and they're not even trying, and their marriage is doing better than mine. Here's this person, and my kid is a disaster, and look, he's valedictorian. I was like, oh my gosh. So then when you have that transactional relationship, you view God as a massive disappointment because you're saying, God, I'm doing my part. You're not holding up your end of the deal. That's the dangers of having that kind of transactional relationship. And even David himself would warn us and say, uh, that's not how it works, guys. And that's going to be the context of the verse that we just looked at today. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Let's look. That was David who said that. But let's zoom out a little bit. By the way, it's a great way of reading the Bible, guys. I'm helping you. Let me just give you a freebie today. If you want to better understand a text, look at the context. Zoom out 
and zoom in sometimes. We're going to do that. We're going to zoom in and look at one word in that sentence, but let's zoom out and look at what is surrounding that argument. What is David trying to say? Well, let's look. So let's look at Psalms 37. This is the one that we're looking at today. And I'm going to just give you a flyover synopsis of the whole psalm, but we're going to open with the first nine verses. Now here, it is considered at the very beginning, Psalms 37, if you have it online or if in our, on our notes, all of it's there. If you open your Bible, it says instructions and wisdom. So Psalms is a book that David and others have written, and there's a lot of great stuff in there. It's a variety of things, you know. We have a lot of prophetic things in the book of Psalms, and there's a lot of um, lyrics to music about praising God's name. And then you have some Psalms like this one that are categorized as kind of like a proverb, And so King David is encouraging believers to keep following God even when it appears that those who don't are doing just fine. And so let's look at just the first uh, nine verses, just kind of the way it sets up. Ready? All right, so let's read it together. This is King David saying these things. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong, for they wither quickly like grass and wilt like tender green plants. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Let's keep going. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. Making your righteousness shine like the dawn and your justice like the noonday. Be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated by one who prospers in his ways, by the the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm for evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So there's the context of that phrase, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we get some examples of what to do, what that looks like. Uh, Did you guys catch the key word that was repeated three times in those nine? Write it online. Let's see who's the first one to beat everybody. Y'all catch that word? Anybody here? If y'all can say it, what's the one word y'all heard multiple times? It was a negative thing. Do not be what? Agitated, right? Three times David is saying, yo, don't be agitated. Don't be bothered. Don't emotionally react. To who? To God, all right? Because here he is breaking down and he's answering that age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? That's, that's this. That's what he's saying. And what he's saying, guys, is don't be agitated. Don't be emotionally upset at God. When you see other people who aren't being obedient, other people who are being reckless, other people who are being lazy, whether they're Christians or not, and you see psh, their life is going better. Uh, and, and then God, what's up with you? Do not be agitated towards God, but instead the, our emotional reaction should be to what? Verse four, delight in God. Don't be discouraged towards God. This is what he's trying to say. He is trying to give everybody this greater perspective, and he's trying to help the Christian, the believer, even though Jesus hadn't lived yet. David had this revelation, this understanding that honestly, this plays into very much the same things that Jesus would say, same things that Peter and Paul and everything in the New Testament lines up with when he's helping us to say, listen, do not make assumptions. It is not wise 
to assume negative, negatively towards God and becoming jealous of unbelievers. Guys, that is not something that we are, it is unwise because in the end, notice he was saying, what's going to happen to evildoers? In the end, it is those who delight in the Lord that are going to be delivered. That's the key one. So when it comes to us as Christians and we look towards the, the non-believing world and we see, man, they seem happier than me. They seem like they got their life more together than me. Now, um, you should process for a minute because maybe there's certain principles that they're living by that, hey, you know, that, that's actually very biblical and stuff. That's actually a practical thing that matters. But we just can't assume that I'm over here, man, and I'm struggling, trying to follow Jesus. I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and I'm seeing nothing for it. And here's this other fool. And look at him, he's having fun. And I'm not. Guys, you got to be careful because he, in, instead of being jealous towards unbelievers, our hearts should break towards them. Because David got this understanding like saying, listen, those people that are living their best life now, that's the best that it's going to be. Can y'all process that for a minute? Listen, as a church, I, I want you guys to understand God and God wants our heart to be off of us. And so let me challenge you for a minute. I don't know how often you do pray for the lost and how God uses you to talk to people who don't know about Jesus. But guys, our heart should break more and more. We shouldn't be jealous by a wicked world. And I'm not saying we can't be upset at, up, you know, when sinners act like sinners and when people act the kind of way. But our heart should ultimately break for them. It shouldn't, we shouldn't be joyful to know that <laughs> you're going to get yours one day. We can't think like that. We got to say, yo, you're going to get yours one day, bro. And I don't want to see that. It shouldn't. Our heart should break. We shouldn't be jealous towards unbelievers. Our heart should break towards them. But I want you to catch that, that what he's trying to get us to see is like, listen, guys, you got to have a bigger perspective, bigger perspective. We talked about this a little bit of how God is not there to meet our expectations. He's there to do so much more for us. And, and there's a statement here that he wants, David wants help the, the believer to understand why it's worth, why it's worth to being faithful towards God, why it's being worth to keep going even when things don't seem to be going your way. Is because here, see, the person who delights in God, that is the person who's going to be delivered. Delivered from what? From the wrath of God himself. I think that's an interesting thing. He is trying to give everybody this eternal perspective. Everybody, Jesus, Peter, Paul, everybody would always say and help us to look beyond that. That God is going to deliver us from wrath. And, and so, many want, so many of us, all we want God to deliver us from is our boss is our problems, is our issues. And, and yes, God is faithful to do that, but the promise is not that God will deliver you from all of your problems, but that he will deliver you ultimately from that. Now, what's beautiful about God's promise, is like saying, listen, even in the midst of your problems, I got you. I'm there to give you the wisdom that you need, the strength that you need, the self-control that you need to maneuver through all of that and those problems that I allow to happen, even if they're not your fault, are there to shape and mold you even more so you can learn to trust in me. So there's, a, there's something beautiful there. We have a promise in the midst of those problems, but it's that perception, and it's the, the key thing, guys, because there's a lot of verbs there. Did y'all catch those verbs? Even in those nine verses, and if you read the rest of it, that's the theme that carries out. The theme carries out is what we just talked about here. I mean, there was a ton of verbs. Notice he says, don't be jealous towards unbelievers. Don't be upset at God. 
you know, because listen, it, their joy is temporary, so you need to learn to relax, not learn not to react. He says things like, we need to trust in the God. Did you catch that? We need to trust in the character of God and who he is, right? And trust in his ways, turning from evil things, doing what is good. Not, when he says doing what is good, he is defining God as good. That's what it is. What does God want us to do? Don't, not your assumption of what you think is good, but what God declares is good. He says a statement earlier, David, he says, commit your ways to God. You know what that means to commit your ways? It doesn't mean, God, I got plans. I need you to co-sign on my plans so that I'm able to, you know, let's do it. That's not committing your ways to God and having him kind of rubber stamp what you want. To commit your ways to God is saying, Lord, here's my ideas. Here's what I would like to do, but it's ultimately up to you. What do you want me to do? You see what that is? It is living a life. It is living with your life in, in, your, in an open hand. God, I, I'm thinking I'm supposed to go right, but if you tell me to go left, I'm going to go left. Uh, logically, maybe this is what I'm supposed to do, but God, if you want me to do something different, if it's I know it's you, I'll do it. That's committing your ways to God. It is living a life of surrender. That's what that is. And, and, Paul, and David, he's talking about being humble, being hopeful. But see, here's the thing. We got to be cautious and careful. It's a lot of religious activity there that's all good things. But again, we can't think of it as this transactional relationship. God, I'll trust you. I'll believe in you. I'll obey you. As long as you then fill in the blank. That's transactional. It doesn't work like that. That's why David uses that key word there. What's that D word we've been saying so far a lot today? It is to what in the Lord? To delight in the Lord. That is the key thing. Because see, a lot of us are great. when We know what to do. We know how to do it. We know what to say. But why do you do all those things? That's the motivation. When he says, delight yourself in the Lord, I'm just going to give you a basic understanding. It just means to enjoy God for him, himself. That's it. Enjoy God. To delight in God is to enjoy him. Because yes, listen, if you do all of these things that we were talking about, commit your ways to God, you be hum humble, hopeful, turn from evil, do what is good, don't be jealous, don't be agitated, trust in God's character, trust in God's ways, he promises benefits. He, he says it here in the Psalm 37. You, those that live this life are going to experience God's provision. Meaning, doesn't mean that it's always going to be a financial provision, but God will give you, like I said a minute ago, the wisdom that you need to make that decision, the courage, the support, the love, the relationships, himself. You, the, he, you will experience the benefits of his provision, his protection. Again, not so much from bad things happening, but his protection knowing that there is nothing that can destroy or overwhelm him. So if you are in him, you are secured. And prosperity is the big one. That actually comes out in this word. That those who live in this way will prosper. And that does not mean that you'll always be healthy and wealthy. Not that at all. Because that word prosper actually means shalom. It means peace. It's like, so when you live in this kind of way, you're going to experience this peace between you and God. This emotional, mental, physical, spiritual peace because of who he is. That's, a, that's amazing. So, I mean, when we're talking about the question, yo, what's in it for me if I commit my ways to God and trust in God? Yo, that sounds good. Also, I get God's provision and protection and prosperity. That sounds awesome. That sounds like a good deal. But here's the thing. That's not how you delight. That is not what it looks like to delight. To delight in God is literally to enjoy him for him, even if he did nothing else for you. 
That's the key. It's not just what you do, it's why you do it. Why? It's not just about reading God's word, it's why you want to read it. It's not about singing songs, but why you want to sing. It's not about coming to church, but why you want to gather together. It's not about just giving money, but why you're doing it. It's not about just serving for the sake of serving, but why. It's our motivation. Why? Because we delight in him. We enjoy him for him. And that's it. I mean, this is the equivalent. I mean, listen, uh, we got a mix in the crowd. And so you know that a healthy relationship between parent and child is not one that said, let's say, you know, dad's been gone for a couple of days and, and dad shows up from a trip and kid walks up and says, oh, hey, dad, can I borrow $20? Right? Like you haven't seen him all day. You haven't seen him for a couple of days. And the first thing out of your mouth is, oh, hey, it's glad to have you back. Can I borrow 20 bucks? Versus, yo, how's it been? How are you? How are you doing? Even if he doesn't give you money. Even if he doesn't, right? Not having that approach, not looking towards God like that. Someone who delights in the Lord is going to do all of these things. Not for the selfish reasons. Not because God will do all of the following. It's because of what he has done. The thing is that we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of common law Christians out there. All right, yeah, you ever heard of common law marriage? Something maybe familiar with? Yes or no? Common law marriage means this. It means that if you hang out with somebody long enough, and you live with them long enough, eventually, legally, you can enjoy the benefits of being married, the legal benefits of being married, without the commitment of being married. That's what common law marriages are. So you hang out with each other, y'all. You guys are, you know, bed buddies for a while, and then you become death buddies, right? But, you know, the idea is that if you become those kind of buddies for a little bit and just kind of hang out long enough, legally, after a certain amount of years, you guys can actually operate legally as a married couple, though you have not made the commitment to be married, you want all the benefits without the sacrifice. You want all the benefits without the commitment. You see that? That's a common law marriage. Guys, you know, we got some common law Christians out there. We got common law Christians who want all the benefits of God and all the benefits of knowing God and all the blessings, but no commitment on their end. They hang out long enough, they follow Jesus long enough, and they feel like, yo, God owes me. All right? That's a common law Christian who wants all of the benefits without the commitment. And see, that's not how to delight in God. It's not how to delight in him at all. Somebody who is a consumer, like we've been talking about, being co-workers and consumers. A consumer just cares about the presence that you get from God, all right? P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, like birthday presents, Christmas presents. That's what a consumer wants. A common law Christian just wants presents, all right? That's what they want. But someone who delights in the Lord is happy with his presence, all right, misspelled. Do I need to spell that one for you? Y'all got that one, okay? All right, it's not the Christmas presents, but his presence. His presence is enough because of all that he has done. And see, here's the thing. If you've ever been frustrated, if you're here and you're frustrated with your relationship with God and it's not going anywhere, listen, you cannot, God is not, let me say it this way better. God is not your vending machine. He's your father. He's not a vending machine that you can come up to, ready to go. You punch in what you need. Boom, boom, get with you. All right, thanks, God. I'll see you next time. He's not a vending machine. He's your dad. He's your heavenly 
Father. That is our approach. That is what he is trying to say here. The person that he is encouraging, that David is encouraging, is somebody who's agitated. God, I'm asking for things and not getting it. Because you're looking at God as a vending machine instead of him for who he is, your heavenly father. And now here's something amazing, guys, that you know that God does something to us when we delight in him? When we delight in him, God does something to us. Did you catch it? He says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. See, here's what happens when we delight in God. He actually helps and shapes your own desires. See, he knows what you need. God knows what you need. He knows that we have wants and desires. He knows that. But here's the thing. He knows those better than you. You think you know what you need, but you don't. He does. And so the more that we delight in God, the more he will shape those desires and help us to see this is what you've needed all along. This is what you're supposed to do. And you know what's amazing? The, the ultimate revelation is this, guys. The desire of your heart I don't care who you are, this is all of you. The desire of your heart, it's him. It's him. He is the desire of your heart. You think what you need is this, and what you need is that, and what you need is all these other things. And yes, those are some, there's important things there, but ultimately what you need is him. The problem is that you and I settle for things that are less. Listen, I, one, part of my testimony between me and Alicia was uh, that when we were dating in high school, my, our issue was, even though it was a great relationship, it, was, it felt like it was still missing something because I was trying to fill the void. I'm here 14, 15, feeling this need. I'm missing something in my life. What is it? And I grew, grew up in church and stuff like that. And, and the thing is that my relationship with God was more cerebral than it was spiritual. You know, I, I meant it. I believed in God. I loved him. But he was just kind of like an add-on. He was an add-on to everything. And so then here, what I thought I needed to be significant and important was to be loved. Yes, I, I felt this need to be loved. I felt this need to be accepted. And so what did I do? I just settled for a relationship with a girl instead of God. And so even though it was good, it was not, it, it became a problem because I was asking her to do something that she could not do. Fulfill me. Only God could. That was my problem. That was my problem because deep down my heart was saying, I need, I need something. I need someone. Oh, she cute. And then I'm like, there it is. All right, competition over, right? The search is done. I found it. No, I didn't. You know, it, it's him. Deep down, some of you guys are trying to, um, some of you guys are trying to live a kind of way, trying to impress your boss, impress your friends, impress your parents still, because you need that sense of affirmation, which is all good things. It's all natural things. But you're doing it in a way instead of being satisfied with the fact that God affirms and encourages you. You look for people to fulfill the very thing that ultimately God is supposed to do. Some of you guys might be in relationships. Some of you guys may be pouring your life into this boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, and your kids. You, maybe you're pouring yourself into them because you feel needed or, or you just, and, and you're being dependent on people instead of learning to be dependent on him. We settle too quickly. We feel some of us are so insecure that you want to achieve great things to feel better about yourself. When instead you don't realize that the best thing you can understand 
is to be secure in him. Not in the eyes of people, but to be secure in Christ. That is the key. That is the key. That that is what it means to delight in God. It's to know that he is what I've wanted this whole time. He is what I ultimately need. And when God fulfills that, now all of these other relationships, your work and your responsibilities now can thrive on another level because you're not here trying to go to your job and trying to see what can I get out of this only? Or here's my marriage, what can I get out of this? If your marriage is not doing good, maybe it's because you guys are each sucking the life out of each other and you're both bone dry because you're expecting the other person to do what only God can do for you. And he, they can't. And so when you delight in God now, you're able to do and live differently. You're, you are operating out of this place of overflow. You're operating, operating a place of overflow because God is the one that is ultimately taking that place. Guys, he is what you want. He is what you've wanted. He is what you're really looking for. It's him. He is the answer to the prayer. You don't even know you're praying. It's him. He is what we need. And what's amazing, guys, is that the more that we lean in and the more that we look and respond to him, he helps us to see that very thing. And here's the thing, guys. The only reason why you and I can ever delight in God is because Jesus, God, first delighted in setting us free. There's a weird verse in Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah sees the future and sees the the Messiah being sacrificed and giving his life and being wounded for our transgressions and sins. And he says in a weird statement that there's a lot of Christians and non-Christians who really have an issue with, he says that it brought delight to the Father to punish the Son. You guys know the Bible says that? That sounds kind of twisted. God the Father, it pleased God the Father to punish the Son. Why? The word delight, that's the same word that we're talking about here. How do we delight in God? Well, where, how does God delight? It delighted, it delighted him to see what Jesus did. Why? Well, think of the issue with the father and the son. Here's a dad who, here's a heavenly father who sees his son. By the way, Jesus willingly, willingly came to this world. Came to this world to seek and save the lost. He didn't do it because dad said, hey, somebody need to do it. I'm not doing it. Go, you do it, boy. Get it. You know, like, like, you know, the dad telling the kid to take out the trash. I ain't doing it. That's what I got you for. I don't have to do it anymore. Go take out the trash. You know, that, that's not God. That's not the father looking at Jesus saying, go ahead, give your life. I was like, man, can't do nothing. You know, it's like, that's not Jesus' attitude. That's not Jesus' attitude on the cross, on the way to the cross. I'm like, man, grumbling the whole time. Jesus willingly came down to seek and save the lost. In fact, the book of Hebrews says that Jesus because of the joy set before him, endured the cross. It wasn't fun. He wasn't having a good time enjoying the pain that he was experiencing on the cross. But he knew what joy was it to know that in my sacrifice and what I am giving up, that there will be people that will be restored back to me. This sacrifice is worth it because of what it's going to do for them. It's not what's in it for me, even though there was. What's in it for God? I get my kids back. That's not selfish. Also, that's very selfless. And the father, it pleased him to say, it pleased him to send his one and only son so that all who would believe in his name would have eternal life and not perish. It pleased pleased the father to see he is doing this willingly out of love for me and out of love for people. 
And it brought joy to his heart knowing I am, gonna con- I am going to bring punishment and Jesus will be punished for every single sin that every person ever did. First off, because I know he's doing it out of a pure heart. And second, I know my boy can take it. I know my boy can take it because whatever this is, he's going to be fine in the end. Yeah, he's going to die, but people don't understand he's coming back. I know my boy can take it. So it brought joy. It brought delight. Guys, you and I can only delight and learn to delight in God because he first delighted in making it possible for us to be able to even know him. And here's the thing. When it comes to being transactional, I'm going to be very real with you. Listen. Everything that we do is a response to what Jesus did. Everything. Why should we spend time? I've been challenging you guys to spend extra time in prayer, extra time in God's word. Why? Because pastor said so. No. Okay. Well, yes, but no. All right. That's not the, ultimately the point. I wanted you to be able to, yes, encourage you to keep pressing in. Why? Because all of it is not because I'm telling you to do these things, not because I said so. I'm telling you to do these things because it is possible for you to have and enjoy and enter the very presence of your creator. Process that. If your favorite celebrity gave you their phone number, you don't think you'd be blowing up that text message every single day? If, the, if your hero gave you access, a private Zoom link that no matter what, bro, there it is, you can FaceTime them whenever you want. You wouldn't take advantage of that? Of course you would. And I wanted you to see you get the same thing in better, in fact, with God himself. Out of all people, you He makes himself available to us. And all that we do should be a response to all that he has done. A consumeristic Christian, the transactional Christian says, God, I'm doing all these things and I'm expecting you to respond to what I'm doing. I'm expecting you to respond to what I'm doing. But a person who delights in God says, nah, God, I'm going to respond to what you've done. I'm responding to what you've done. And here's the what a person who learns how to delight. This is the place that we all need to be. What if God, the only thing he ever did for you was forgive you of your sins? What if the only thing he ever did for you was forgive you to the point that you know you're not going to spend an eternity in hell? What if that is the only prayer that he answered? Would that be enough for you? What if he does, he ignores you, doesn't listen to a prayer anymore, just kind of puts you, just ghosts you, all right? Doesn't listen to any of your prayers, doesn't help you at all. You're on your own until I see you when I come pick you up again, okay? Until death not separates us, but brings us closer together, right? If that's all he did was to declare you forgiven and make you a son and daughter and said, all right, I'll, when your time is, that's when I'm going to see you again. Would that be enough for you? Yes or no? If you're a person who delights in the Lord, it is yes. If all my God did was declared me a guilty sinner, forgiven, that's enough for me to follow him. That's enough for me to follow him, regardless of the frustrations, regardless of the um, empty prayers that I, I didn't hear or the times. That, that is enough because of what he has done. That is enough. He is enough. And that's important, guys. See, at that point now, you and I can learn to delight and enjoy him for him. We don't seek his hand. No, we seek his heart. Because he is better. He is the ultimate reward. He is better than anything that he can ever give us. It's just an extension of who he is. It's him. Some of you guys are missing out so much because you're just looking out for his hand. You're looking out for God's handout. 
and you're missing the scars that are in that hand. The scars that is like, that's why his hand is there is because of what he did. Seek his face. And then, let me tell you, a person who delights in the Lord is going to delight to reflect that light. You're going to delight to reflect that light in what we do. So now when we serve and now when you work and now when you got to put up with that person or you're in this position or whatever, why do we give of our time, give of our emotion, give of our money, give? Because it delights, it's a delight to be able to reflect the light and love of God so that somebody else who is deceived, somebody else who's going to be condemned could find the same thing that we have. Guys, to delight in the Lord is not just to enjoy him just for you. And like, mm, this is all for me, just for me. Nah, man, you miss out. You delight in the Lord by learning to live for him, reflect him, talk to others about him. That's when you learn to delight in him and he moves and shapes and so much more. And guys, that's the key thing that I want to just honestly, I want to keep challenging you. Today is not so much. I want to keep challenging you, yes, church, to keep pressing in. Keep going after God. But today I wanted us to take a moment and to challenge your conviction like saying, okay, but why though? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why did you show up here today? Can I just ask that question? Honestly, why'd you show up here today? Did you just, you want to feel better about yourself because you actually went to church and I was like, ah, that's cute. Is that why you came here today? Because you'd rather show up and not have to deal with the guilt of not coming? Is that why you showed up today? Why are you going to read and why are you going to do all this stuff so you can feel like yourself a better Christian, more holier than others? I'm like, you know, I feel better about myself. Everybody else, I pray for 45 minutes every single day. Everybody else, they wish. They wish they could be me. Why do you do what you do? Why do you give offering here to this church? Do you know that there are people out there, not in this church. I don't know. I'm going to be real. I don't know. But chances are there's somebody. There's people who give to churches just so they can tell a pastor and have the authority to be able to say, this is what I want. You don't give me what I want. You don't listen to what I'm doing. I'm going to take my money and I'm going to go somewhere else. And you know, there's a lot of pastors who unfortunately are held captive and trapped because of people like that. Why do you give? Why do you serve? There's a lot of people who volunteer and they serve because they want to feel special. You volunteer not because you try, you want to help somebody else, it's because you're really helping yourself. Why do we do what we do? That's my challenge for you today, guys. Why are you going to fast and pray? We're going to do a fast very soon. Why are we trying to fast as a church and pray and pursue God? It is not so we can get more out of him. Because honestly, you don't even realize and have scratched the surface to what you already have. I'm going to say that one again. If you're a believer in Jesus, you do not understand even a minute little element of what you already have. And here you are wanting something else. And you don't even truly understand what you have already in Christ. Why do we do what we do? It's because of him. Why do we do what we do? It's because of him. Not to be able to get into heaven because there is nothing that we can do that will lead us. And say, all right, hey, you passed. You get, a, you get an A in Bible reading. You get a B in prayer. You get a C in volunteering. You know what? That's enough, right? C's get degrees, right? C's get you in eternity. No, it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. We get to do all of these things because of Christ. And I heard a great reflection from uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Blair uh, Lister. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. 
He was talking about Jesus on the cross and there was one person standing next to him and you know, he was, you know, two people that he died with and one was condemning Jesus. He was bitter and all this stuff. And here's another one that was felt convicted and said, Jesus, I am a sinner. I deserve what I'm getting. Can you at least remember me when you go into eternity, into your father's presence? Will you remember me? Jesus tells that person, no, don't worry. Today is going to be a day because there was repentance in his heart and he believed in Christ. He believed in Christ and repented of his sins and he knew I don't deserve to go with you. Can you at least just remember me? He says, oh, I'm gonna do better, bro. You're coming with me. You're coming with me. I know you don't deserve it, but because you understand that, oh, you're coming with me. And so imagine, what would that person say? I know we see cartoons and movies of, you know, somebody standing at the front door of heaven like a big, you know, holy bouncer, right? And it's maybe, you know, it's like the apostle Peter and whatever. It's not whatever. Like, oh, you know, why are you here today? Why should you come inside? Why should you enter in? And if your answer, if you think your answer is, this is what the pastor was saying. If, if your answer starts with a me, well, I, I do this and I did this and I and I and I, that is why I should go in. That is why I should spend an eternity with God because of I, you're wrong. You're off because there is nothing that you and I can do, right? I lived my life for God and so I deserve to be, mm, that's transactional. Doesn't work that way. But think of this man, this man showed up and what's his excuse? Why are you supposed to go in here? He doesn't understand anything. He didn't go to any Bible studies. He didn't understand. He can't break down the idea of the concept of salvation and justification and glorification. He can't define any biblical terms. He can't quote a Bible verse. And here's this man that said, Jesus said, you're going to be with me. And if this person had to stand in front and give a reason, why should you come in here? The pastor says, well, this is what, this is what he would say. The man in the middle cross said I could come. Why am I allowed to come in? Because he said so. The man in the middle cross said I can come. There is nothing else that I have done, nothing else that I could, I don't know, I, but I know that the man in the middle cross said I can come. And that's why I'm here. Guys, the man in the middle is inviting us to do a lot, but not so we can get any more. It's because the man in the middle has done so much for you already. And he wants you to understand it. And everything that we do, when we get up early to spend time with God, when we set time aside and we get away during our lunch break, or just take a moment to be with him, or at night, or you know, before anything else, or when we go and when we tell others about him, when we're encouraging others, serving, loving, giving, whatever it is, why do we do it? Because of what the man in the middle cross did for us because of what he did for us, he is enough. If he did nothing else but just that, that is enough. And guys, when you learn to delight in God in those ways and to enjoy him for him, everything opens up so much more. Everything so opens up so much more. So I wanna challenge all of us and all of you, believe in Jesus Christ. Repent of your sins and receive the forgiveness of your sins and lovingly surrender. Here's the key. Lovingly surrender your life every single day. And you are going to discover that there is no greater joy than to serve your Savior and no greater delight than to follow your deliverer, Jesus Christ, Lord and King. 
You know, so did you heed David's warnings? Can you hear what he is saying? See, when it came to his pursuit of God, he, he was struggled. He wondered, it was like, hey, God, how come, how come other people here are doing things a kind of way and they're not following you and, and things look like they're going better for them compared to me? And see, that mentality already, again, is a selfish one. And so I want to encourage you, listen, God is not a vending machine. He is not there just so you can put in your two cents and do the bare minimum and then push whatever button you want and get whatever you want. He is not your vending machine. He is your heavenly father. Now, yes, God gives us and has given us and wants to do so many amazing things. But guys, that should not be our pursuit. Like I like I mentioned earlier, if God never did anything for you ever again, would you still read his word? Would you still want to get to know him? Will you still pray to him? If all he did was forgive you of your sins and say, one day we'll be together forever. Until then, you're on your own. But if he would be willing to, if that's all he did, would it be enough? Honestly, it should be. That in and of itself is a miracle. But yet we know that's not God. We know that's not God. He's not going to just wait and you're on your own. He is so much more than that. And I want to challenge you. You experience that when you have a better view of God and when you persevere in your faith and you pursue him for him. So I want to challenge you guys in all that you do, Ask yourself, why am I doing it? And if it's to get closer to him because you know he loves you and it's a response of love, then you're on the right path.